0: The Athletic
1: This is Talk to the Devils of Manchester United podcast from The Athletic The Reds may not have played for nine days now but United players are still making waves on international duty of course On this podcast we'll consider Portugal's belly flop at the Group A finish line and Sweden who looked all at sea in Georgia too. Manchester United players playing key roles in both those disasters. And by popular demand, we'll also be taking a look at the form of United's players who are currently out on loan. Welcome along to the show. I'm Ian Irving and joining me as usual are the Athletics Manchester United correspondent Laurie Whitwell. Hi Laurie. Hi Ian. And United We Stand editor Andy Mitten. Hello Ian. Right, it's supposed to be quiet the international break isn't it? We're supposed to be sort of struggling for things to talk about but somehow Manchester United's players, whether they're at Old Trafford, somewhere in England or somewhere abroad just seem to be dominating headlines again don't they? Uh, Andy, we have to start with the biggest story really of the international break and Portugal haven't qualified yet. Cristiano Ronaldo won't definitely be at the next World Cup. He won't be happy about that and he didn't look it after the game either, did he?
2: Not only have they not yet qualified, it was a 90th minute winner for Serbia in Portugal. Portugal had gone ahead and then it was one all and Portugal would have finished top of the group but Mitrovic who's scoring loads and loads of goals for Fulham this season I think he's scored over 20 so far 23 in he's 22 games for him this season ridiculous incredible I think he was the one um, who was the subject of the original Will Griggs on fire chant it was Mitros on fire in <laughs> when he was at, at Newcastle but Will Griggs chant became really really famous in euro 16 but it was metro originally but yeah portugal have got to go through um a a qualifying game now which was a big surprise it wasn't expected to be defeated at home to serbia who then finished top of the group is a a really really bad result for portugal ronaldo uh, bernardo silva I think Bernardo Silva said it was a terrible game. Uh, we scored early but then we, we, we stopped playing. I wish he'd stopped playing in the Manchester Derby last week, but we'll come to that <laughs> I'm sure. Well we've we've spoke too much about that and we're not going back to that. No, no, don't so yeah big, it. Big, big 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 surprise. And rather than a group stage you've got the playoff now. So there's more risk uh, attached to that. You'd still think that Portugal will be favourites. European champions in 2016 i was in the stadium when he went out of euro 2020 i thought they were they were really flat and bruno fernandez has been a big uh, star for manchester united but isn't such a star for, for portugal from the games that i've seen his position's a bit more uncertain but it, it's still all about ronaldo and a world cup without ronaldo um, would, would be a big surprise
1: yeah and ronaldo didn't look happy at all about the result or with his manager Fernando Santos last night, Laurie.
3: No, it was an interesting clip wasn't it at the end and the the camera is right there. Um so it's not like he's sort of doing this in a private location where no, he, he knows feels he's like he's being watched, doesn't he, yeah? Yeah. Um so obviously the manager comes up to him and Ronaldo kind of stops. He's shaking hands with a Serbian player and and kind of is complaining like right in front of the camera, arms flapping. Um, and you know the manager comes up and shakes his hand, but he's almost turning away as he's shaking his hand. So he doesn't really want to be a part of the the kind of Ronaldo drama at that point. Um, I mean, listen, that's what he's all about, isn't it? He, he he wants to be at the pinnacle of every competition, and he's allowed to be annoyed that the fact that his country. Haven't made it yet. Um, he also, there was a, I mean, against Ireland, he had a couple of chances, but again, was a bit peripheral in the game, he had that header that went just wide. Uh, and then in the game against Serbia, Renato Sanchez burst burst through, and I think he wanted a square ball at one point, and, and he went for goal instead. And, you know, there was that kind of past to me sort of sentiment. But it was, it's remarkable, really, that Portugal haven't got over the line, given, you know, they drew in Ireland and then lost at home to Serbia, you know, just easily it should have been the case that they they would have made it through at that point. So you can understand Ronaldo's frustrations.
1: Yeah, star players not performing, a manager under pressure. Sounds quite familiar in some ways, doesn't it? Um, You mentioned there about the draw in Dublin, a disappointing draw, wasn't it, for Portugal, the first game of this international group and sort of led to them being in the the position last night where that last-minute goal could stop them qualifying for now for the World Cup. Well, the Athletics' Phil Buckingham watched Portugal's game against Ireland and we're delighted to have him on the show now. So Phil, welcome to Talk of the Devils. Good morning all. Uh, right, I, we're going to talk about Bruno Fernandes in a minute and, and how it's not quite working for him at international level um, but sort of this idea then that that star players are not quite doing it because it's not just Bruno and, and Ronaldo, there's Jao there's Cancelo. Cancelo, there's Ruben Diaz, there's Bernardo Silva, there's uh, João Felix, I'm sure, have missed players out. I mean, this Portugal side should be getting to the World Cup with their eyes closed with no issue, shouldn't they?
4: No, absolutely. And they will be deeply frustrated at, at the way it's panned out. Um, the the island game was was all about just avoiding defeat, so they, they could have won that game and it wouldn't have made any difference to last night's outcome. They, they, they just had to keep their fate in their own hands and, and the points up them above Serbia. So. And to go a goal up at home, in a in a must not lose game and then end up losing in, in injury time is is criminal really. Um, it is a it's a nice story for Mitrovic. He was the one that missed the penalty for Serbia, didn't he, against Scotland? So it's it's redemption for him. But you know there'll be there'll be severe recriminations in, in Portugal. I can I can only imagine the fallout from that because there's a whole lot of jeopardy in those playoffs. You look at the teams in there and the potential route that they're going to have to take. It's not going to be easy and absolutely no guarantees that that Ronaldo and co will be at the World Cup, that's for sure.
1: Knowing Ronaldo, though, Phil, he'll have already planned exactly what's going to happen. He'll score the winner in the semi and he'll score the winner in the final and deliver his team to the World Cup. He seems to usually have a say in the narrative when things are really up against it. Although that means he should have scored last night rather than Mitrovic, in fairness, and it didn't work. Um, Let's get into your article then. It's up on The Athletic at the minute. A very, very interesting read, especially for Manchester United fans. You describe Bruno Fernandes and Cristiano Ronaldo as like oil and water.
4: Can you just go into it a bit more for us, please? Yeah, well the aim of that piece really was to, to try and analyse how the two of them play together at Portugal and the primary conclusion I would draw is that, that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is getting a lot more out of them. Um and people might roll their eyes at that, but it was it was um it was like two strangers playing in the island game and, and I watched quite a lot of the game last night. Obviously Bruno Fernandes was a substitute and came on. Um but they just I, I don't watch United as much as, as you fellas, but I've never seen Bruno Fernandes have, have such an ineffective game as that one against Ireland. He was he was passive. He was anonymous. He was sloppy in possession, and he just he just looked the shadow of the player. And uh, and when you when you dig deeper on his on his history with with Portugal, <laughs> it's poor um, for a player of his quality. He was he was late onto the international scene. Uh, I think was David was at twenty three. And Frawley's Frolley, a fairly regular starter when, when games really matter, as like last night, and, and even in points of games when it really matters. He's the expendable one. He, he's the one that's often replaced. Uh, he's the one that's overlooked, as you saw in the European Championships. And a huge game last night, he's the one that's dropped to the bench. Now, I, I don't think there's an awful lot of, of shame in that, because as, as you just highlighted, the, the strength and depth of Portugal is enormous, but he is not the player... For for Portugal as he is for Manchester United, he is not a focal point. And now, whether, whether or not you you look at Fernando Santos and think he's not getting the best out of a, a clearly talented footballer, there's a fair argument with that. But um, yeah, just just watching that 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 game against Ireland and, and bits of it last night, he's um, at times he just looked like a little boy lost. And um, you know, I, he's not going to come back from the international break with confidence boosted. That's for sure. But. Um, yeah, I, I do think it's very difficult in a in a team spearheaded by Ronaldo because he's just this tour de force, isn't he? And he, it becomes this, it becomes Ronaldo's team, and and to make yourself known and felt in that team is is difficult. And yeah, he's he's obviously done a lot more with with the the, the union between Ronaldo and um, Fernandez this this season for United has been has, has shown signs of it coming together, but. I do think it's very difficult to to make yourself known in a team with Ronaldo.
1: Yeah, Sam Sees responded to the article saying, "I think this is a Portugal problem rather than a United one." He has eight assists already this season, and he's still one of the to- top, excuse me, and he's still one of the top ranked players in the Premier League and Champions League for chance creation, expected assists, etc. Despite maybe not being as brilliant as he has been over the last eighteen months or so, Andy, you were nodding though for a lot of that. Are, are you sort of seeing the same sort of problems for Portugal that are creeping in at United a little bit?
2: I was nodding because I I was there in the Euros seeing that he was expendable. That was the word which was used um, for the Portuguese national team. My priority is how Bruno Fernandes does for Manchester United and when he came that first year, he was by a distance the best player. By an absolute mile Manchester United's best player. The first few months, he was so much better than everybody else and it was needed because United had been so poor and He's faded a bit and I look at a player now who, statistics, yeah, I mean he had a very bright start to the season. But so did Paul Pogba. That doesn't mean he's Manchester United's best player at the moment just because he's got all those goals and assists. And he's he's more whiny. He's whinging all the time. He's not as effective as he was. He's been pretty um, unable uh, to perform against far better players um, for opponents in Manchester City and and Liverpool. And you know, what happened against Aston Villa with, with the penalty, he's just not playing to the levels that he was at, at Manchester United. And I'd love him to get back to to that level. remember watching him at Wolves in a game United were lucky to win earlier in the season and just thinking, stop moaning. Just stop moaning. Just give it a break. And that's just my opinion. And he, he um, I think he's a fantastic footballer. I think he brings so much to the team. He makes the passes... Um, a a, a criticism of him is that he loses the ball too much but he makes the most risky passes he tries the stuff which when it does come off is the best stuff it's like wow how did he do that and I hope he never changes that but I also hope that he's just going through a, a, a bit of a lower moment I won't say he's completely out of form but for almost all the time he's been at Manchester United you'd be able to say he's the best player at the moment and you wouldn't be able to say that of him so far this season
1: no, actually, he's not scored for 12 matches for Manchester United, which is his longest spell without a goal. Um, but actually, it's his longest spell for about five and a half years without a goal. It dates back beyond his time at Sporting Lisbon to to actually Sampdoria in Italy. So, Laurie, is it too easy to blame this on Ronaldo? Because if you actually look at when he last scored, it was Ronaldo's debut and he's not scored since.
3: Good stats there and quite eye-opening, really, because I mean, I suppose he's been able to score penalties in quite a few of those sequences so you'd, you'd think it's it's unusual that United haven't got a penalty um, for, for such a long time well they did he missed it well exactly there we go so like you know if he scores that one then the, the, the run isn't um, as kind of barren as, as it looks at the moment fairly um, early
1: in the run even though to be fair I think it was about game yeah. four of 12 so you know he still would have been I don't know eight matches is that right
3: yeah I've got on my fingers yeah, for out sure. it up. and, yeah. and, and, and uh, yeah obviously that, that would be um, superficial anyway, really, wouldn't it? Penalties, it's sort of, you know, um, skirting over the issue where we're talking about fundamental style of play on the pitch and, and linking up. I mean, you know, I was there in Bergamo for that assist for Ronaldo, which was inspirational, um, you know, to sort of take a pass from Mason Greenwood and make it into a guaranteed goal by backhealing it to Ronaldo. You could see the understanding that they've got in that moment. Um, I suppose it's just that we're not yet seeing that on a consistent basis and that seems odd given they are compatriots and you'd think that that understanding would have been developed over time there but as phil says it's actually worse for portugal to to be fair to him he's made at least one assist in every champions league game so
2: far and and he made two against atalanta at home i think it's more in the league because he he scored that hat-trick against leeds on the opening day he's only scored one since but he's still been making assists that that ball he gave to ronaldo at Tottenham very recently was incredible it's one of the best goals and setups of, of the season but I still maintain my original point that he's not playing as well for Manchester United as he was when he first came. Philip a point in your piece actually is about just how much football Bruno Fernandes has played in
1: recent times and sort of asking the question about whether it's catching up with him a little bit do, do you think that it is catching up with him?
4: Well I would find it hard to believe that Someone could play that amount of football and it wouldn't have an impact on you on your fitness. I mean, we're approaching 100 games in. I think is it 16 months. it will been non-stop for him. Um, yeah, 94 appearances since the start of last season. That's just incredible, isn't it? Um, and, and I imagine before that, he's he's not the player that's used sparingly before that, really, and in, in certainly for Sporting. And you, and you just think at some point that's going to catch up with you. Um, you know, you, you can't play those amount of games. He, he he was very rarely rested last season. I know he didn't play every game at the Euros, but he's played an awful lot of football this year. And at some point, we will catch up with you. He's, you know, he's at an age and in the position he plays where, you know, at some at some point, you are going to feel those levels of fatigue. And I think I think I perfectly honest, he would love him to pick up some sort of like hamstring or calf injury ahead of the, one of these international breaks and. And giving him a couple of weeks off, but um, I, I just think the travel that all these players do it, it is phenomenal. Um, and it, even when you look at what Ronaldo's played, he hasn't played nearly as much as, as Bruno Fernandez in, in the last eighteen months. And um, and I, I suspect he's 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 able to manage his fitness better in games as well. Probably a bit more sensible with the running he does um, at his age. And yeah, I, I just think I don't think you can overlook that that fitness that fitness element with him.
3: I do think that's a big point, Phil, as well. That the running that Bruno Fernandes does—it's—it's it's all over the all over the pitch, isn't it Sometimes you actually have to probably restrain him for not going on those sort of solo presses. But compared to Ronaldo, for sure, he expends a lot more energy on the pitch for United. Certainly,
1: there is that. <laughs> Phil, thank you so much for coming on, though. Phil's article is up on the Athletic at the moment. Bruno Fernandes and Cristiano Ronaldo—oil and water. It's an interesting read for Manchester United fans. Phil, thanks for coming on. Uh, right. Well, we're on the subject of, uh, of Portuguese Manchester United players or former Manchester United players. James Horncastle, Laurie's written about Nani. Now, his time at United is odd because actually he was really, really good. But we sort of have this sort of like weird sort of like nagging feeling that it, it wasn't good. There used to be a guy who sat in front of us at Old Trafford. You know, when you're at the game... And you've got your season ticket, and there's all the characters around you. And, and they sort of get I don't know what if you guys were the same, but in our sort of group, people got nicknames. So there was a guy who sat two rows in front whose nickname was fucking Hell Nanny, because literally all he said every single game was fucking Hell Nanny. Like, mate, he's, he's on the bench. Like, he, he left. You know, he, he'd actually gone to another club, and this guy was still standing up <laughs> shouting fucking Hell Nanny. He was just like absolute used to it. But yeah, um, interesting article about Nani, isn't it? And he's had a key role in actually Bruno Fernandes ending up at Old Trafford, it sounds like, as well.
3: Yeah, I enjoyed that little um, sort of revelation of of agency there, you know, sort of saying to to Bruno Fernandes, whilst there were teammates at Sporting Lisbon, you know, you should go to England. You'd you'd, you'd suit it. Uh, And then once it became clear that actually, yeah, he was looking at England, he was pressuring him, saying, go to Man United. So this old boys network that United have got, is is sort of has its <laughs> tentacles in all different kind of places. Um, you know it's
1: wide reaching when Nani's involved, don't you? In Orlando.
3: <laughs> yeah, we triangulate that one. Yeah. Um I always think back fondly with N- with Nani just because the the amount of goals that he scored that were breathtaking. You know, you sort of have to think that his his highest level was super high and and I would always sort of regard that as being something to savor rather than he's not lived up to what we thought his potential was necessarily. But, he, he, you know, we have to remember he was following Ronaldo. Um, so he was sort of filling that void left by, you know, one of the greatest players ever, which is a pretty tough ask to, to, to fulfil. Um, but he's still, you know, he was still part of, you know, title winning teams after Ronaldo left. Very important part, you know. Um, was it 2010-11 where he had like a pretty stellar season? Um, like I say, scored some incredible goals, scored a penalty in the... Champions League final, having just signed for United. So, you know, how how are your minerals? You know, pretty good. 10-11 um, just remi-
1: reminds me of him crossing the ball for Rooney and then Rooney running off to celebrate and just pointing at Nani in the corner.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, some great That's it. assists as well. Left foot, right foot. You could hammer him in with either foot. Um, so I always think that quite, quite fondly. I mean, I don't know if Alex Ferguson does because of the way, you know, his final Champions League appearance went, uh, you know, sort of getting sent off for a high boot. With, you know... Harsh. I think he was harsh. Yeah, I I think it was. But I suppose. You know, in Europe, you give a decision, you give a referee a decision to make, and you know you perhaps can be blamed for that. But I don't know. I I always think about fondly and I always quite he- enjoy hearing from him. So it was a good interview. Yeah,
1: Andy, sixty nine goal involvements, uh, twenty six goals, forty three assists, and one hundred and
2: forty seven Premier League games. That's
1: pretty good, isn't it?
2: One in two, pretty much. And he was pretty good. He scored ten goals in in eleven and in twelve, and then he had a lot of bad injuries. I think he was unfortunate with timing. In Sir Alex's final season, he was he was injured a lot and he, uh, I think he was let go, he went on loan to, to Sporting, didn't he? Um, in, in Lisbon, Manchester United heavily um, subsidised his wages and he was part of that Lou van Hall talent purge where he just got rid of, uh, uh, of a lot of players. Uh, a criticism I've heard of him was that he tried too much to be like Cristiano and other players would say to him, just be yourself, you're a very talented uh, player. I feel if Ferguson would have stayed there, Nani probably would have stayed at the club uh, longer. It uh, he, he could be bafflingly inconsistent, but I suppose when you're in his position, you are expected to be a man. And as Roy Keane once said to me, that's the hardest thing to do on a pitch. And and he wasn't at times. He was a scapegoat, and he wasn't Ronaldo's class, but he was still a, a very good player. He scored some exceptional goals, and he was a real key player. He played. He played 49 times in 2010, 2011 for Manchester United, 40 times the season after that. So it was only really his last two or three seasons where he was hit by injuries and he he just fell out of favour. But I I can remember being in Gothenburg in 2012 and all the talk was Willie or Willie won't sign a new contract. And that was the quote we were trying to get out of him in, in the mix zone, to the point that he's one of Manchester United's best players. At this moment, He's he is one of the main men. Are you going to sign or not? Well, maybe, maybe not, you know? And then, and then his state has faded away from that point. Owen Hargreaves. Now Nani. Getting the better of Gary O'Neill. Ronaldo calling for it on the far side, but he's gone for it! And how! What about that? He still does the elaborate celebration despite his manager's concerns, but that is a goal
3: worth celebrating.
1: Yeah, very interesting article by James Horncastle with Nanny up on The Athletic at the minute as well. Remember, you can still get a 33% discount off a subscription to The Athletic when you go to theathletic.com forward slash Pod for access to all these articles that we're talking about. Nani, of course, famous for a very, very, very acrobatic goal celebration. And in other goal celebration news during this international break, Harry Maguire's had a goal, hasn't he, Laurie? Um, Cupping his ears or putting his fingers in his ears, either way, it sort of was taken as a response to his critics when he scored against Albania for England on Friday night. Roy Keane wasn't happy. What did you think?
3: Well, can I just say uh, congratulations on that brilliant segue there, Ian? As Thank it, you. As it became apparent where you were going with that, I thought that's that's a nice, nicely done. There. I'm hoping um, they edit out yeah. all the
1: false takes while I work
3: through it. <laughs> um, yeah, I was just, I was, I suppose, I was surprised. Um, I, I don't quite. By that, it was something done in the moment because it it, it just looked like something that he thought if I score, right, I'm going to do you know some kind of ear celebration. But he, he can't, hadn't quite figured out exactly what because it was cupping the ears, you know I'm, I'm listening to your crowd. Come on, give it, give it me some more. Or I'm putting my fingers in it in my ears. I'm I'm not listening to you. Sort of a bit of a halfway house. Um, I I don't mind players having personality on the pitch. Absolutely, show your character. Um, but I don't know. I kind of felt like. The, the criticism that you've come in for has been for your Man United performances. So first off, really you kind of want to give a response for your club. Um, and then also it's Albania, you know, um, it was a thumping header, you know, definitely celebrate it, you know, but it'd be great um, for him to score some goals like that for United. But um, it was, it, it was a, you know, it was a, bit of a dead rubber game. It, it, the occasion didn't quite match. Now I wouldn't go quite as far as Roy Keane, but then again, you know, he is a a former player of extreme high standards and and, and incredible calibre. Um so he, he's probably, you know, more entitled than me to say what he thinks on certain things. But I wouldn't I wouldn't have called it a disgrace uh, as such. Embarrassing like, I, mean, that's, that's, I think it was the headline yeah I mean he, and that's he comes from a dressing room doesn't he where you know you could call out your teammates and I'm sure if he was in a, a dressing room with Harry Maguire I think he would say what he felt in that regard um and so that's that's his own view he he, he comes out with very strong uh critiques he's obviously on TV you know there's a, there's a, a purpose to having those kind of attitudes um I think I would probably just go along the lines of I probably wouldn't have done it myself I, I wouldn't necessarily have endorsed it as a celebration um, cause, because now the thing is the focus will be on Maguire you know for, for Man United next and if he has a bad game it'll it'll kind of undermine that that the celebration that he's done because it'll look like a sort of pride before a fall almost but hopefully it's the start of him rebuilding his way into the team because he has been a superb servant for Manchester United he's just fallen off you know since the Euros really um, so hopefully that's the start of the building blocks going back in place I thought
2: it was the actions of a man who's been under intense pressure and criticism and it was just a reaction to that. I I thought it was an odd thing to do. He's not played well since the Euros. He's been under pressure and extreme criticism for the first time in his football career. And I think he's been feeling it. I think as a human, you do feel stuff like that. And Harry Maguire goes to matches. His family go to the matches. They go to all the European away games. They don't hide. People talk to them. And in Bergamo a couple of weeks ago, there were fans talking to some of his family and criticising him in real life. And they're defending him, saying, well, what about this and what about that? And you know, it can be quite a harsh environment, that. But I like the fact that players' families go to games because a lot of them don't. A lot of them just think, I can't be bothered with the hassle. And they do get hassle. They get a lot of hassle. I'm not saying to the extent of Gary Walsh's wife when he was at Bradford City when someone offered her out for a fight in the main stand and that person wasn't a female but they do get hassle and I know some big Manchester United players whose families will not go go to matches especially away games so I like it that Harry's family do go but he's, he's under a lot of pressure and he's under pressure because he's not, not been playing well we cannot pretend otherwise I think he's been a good player for Manchester United I didn't say great, I said good but I think he's become a, a, an increasingly better player up to this season.
3: I do think the injuries is is one thing to yeah touch upon just because he has put himself through pain to, to play for United and, and, and you know it's not a given that you know um, so the Leicester game he definitely was back sooner I think than most people expected you know he'd had one training session and he goes into the Leicester game and it's not a good game is it but I do think the context of him. Putting his hand up to say, you know, I can play if you want me to uh, is 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 a good thing. But clearly he needs to be putting in the performances for Manchester United now. You know, you, you hope that this is the, the springboard for that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. England play again later on. We're recording on Monday, so they're in action tonight away at San Marino. Who knows how Harry Maguire will celebrate if he manages to score a bullet header against the mighty San Marino as well. We'll have to wait and see later on. Let's move it on because actually we sort of started the podcast talking about a bad night for Bruno and Ronaldo for Portugal. Well, it was also a bad night for Victor Lindelof. His Sweden side also conceded a late goal, which stopped them qualifying for the World Cup for now. Spain won that match. Morata got the goal. But actually it was the first game of this international break, Andy, that Lindelof has come in for huge criticism in Sweden for his role in the second goal in their 2-0 defeat to Georgia, essentially gifting the opportunity, which uh, which sealed the game. Another player who seems to be taking his club form into international football a little bit.
2: Yeah, I, I don't think Lindelof's been Manchester United's biggest problem. And I've, I've said a few times on on this podcast that he's really highly rated um, at the club. And when Varane came in, I saw people saying that's it for Lindelof. No, that was never my understanding Maybe for Eric Bailly, but certainly not for Victor Lindelof. And he'd done well for uh, for Sweden. Again, I, w- I was at the stadium in Euro 2020 where they actually drew 0-0 against Spain. And that was an exceptionally good result. But then to concede that goal five minutes from time to Alvaro Morata, uh, that sent Spain through. It's not the best time for him. And I think his way of dealing with it is he just... He just sort of switches off. He doesn't really engage as much. I sat next to a Swedish journalist in Bergamo and he'd only gone there to write about Victor Lindelof. So he's clearly a major story in Sweden. He's seen as being their world-class player. You know, Obviously Zlatan has been the main man in Swedish football for a long, long time. But the focus from Sweden is always on Lindelof. I think they're very proud that they've got a player who plays for Manchester United in the Premier League. And has been a decent player. Again, I'm not saying he's Ferdinand or, or Vidic class, but he's had some really good games. I, I don't have the uncomfortness that some fans have a, 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 about Lindelof, but he's a 1-0 defeat. Spain a really, really, really bad result for Sweden. Spain are better than Sweden. It was you the know, Georgia game, it the wasn't way. it?
1: It was that result, yeah. really, that did it for them. Yeah. Because obviously Sweden had beaten Spain, hadn't they, earlier on in the qualification yeah. campaign, which exactly. was a, a huge result for the country. Yeah, Lindelof, interestingly as well, at a press conference ahead of the Spain game um, and was asked about his mistake against Georgia and all the criticism that he's faced. He said, it's pretty normal in the world I live in I presume it means Manchester, Laurie.
3: Yeah, I mean, I suppose that does harden you up, doesn't it? Surely (laughs) Manchester United is the most scrutinised, dissected club in England, okay? I'm I'm thinking there maybe Real Madrid or or Barcelona might vie for that title over the world, but you know the number of eyeballs that are on Man United, surely it will probably feel like a bit of a release going to Sweden. I don't know what's going to happen when they all come back to Carrington and, and start getting in the mix. I mean, maybe they'll enjoy coming back to Manchester and think, OK, we can put that behind us with our international teams or you know, you kind of hope they don't bring that baggage with them?
1: No, at least they've got a week, more or less, to get it out of the systems, I suppose, uh, before they play again. But remember, uh, you can go and have a look at Phil's article on Portugal and Bruno Ronaldo. You can look at James Horncastle's article on Nani. There's also a piece that we've not mentioned here and we're not going to discuss too much by Michael Cox, who, of course, was on Talk of the Devils. Uh, last week on the myth of Ferguson's legacy of attacking football another intriguing read go and have a look at that if you want to as well remember there's the discount still go to theathletic.com forward slash man United pod
0: Learn more at marines.com.
1: So every time we ask for questions on Talk of the Devils, we get a few requests for an update on the players that United have loaned out to other clubs. And we've somehow made it all the way to November without doing it, so it's about time that we do exactly that. Let's start then with Manchester United defender Brandon Williams. He's had an up and down time, I think it's fair to say at Norwich. So let's get the inside track from our man in East Anglia.
5: Hello all, Michael Bailey here, Norwich City correspondent for The Athletic. It's been good fun watching Brandon Williams operate so far during his loan spell. It's been a little hit and miss. I think some of his defending, certainly last ditch committed defending has been excellent. And we are coming off the back of his best performance, I would say for the club which came at Brentford, where he really offered an attacking threat, used the ball well when he got into the final third, I thought. He is operating on the left side as left back primarily, and you can occasionally see that that's obviously not his natural side, but his pace and his engine and his commitment have always been really good so far this season. And he even got a little go um, left side of a back three rather than at win back. So he's got a bit of uh, competition with Demetrius for the role but under daniel Farker it was never quite clear who was sort of the preferred player so at, at times brandon has been out of it i wouldn't have necessarily argued with those decisions either because i think positionally there have sometimes been issues and sometimes it's been caught out of possession or misplaced a pass that has put norwich under pressure obviously he's playing in a team that haven't got the quality that he'd probably be used to at Manchester United. So you can understand there being an adjustment for him. But what we see of him going forward will be very interesting under Dean Smith, of course. But I think he's certainly contributing. And I'd like to think that he will at least get to see out the entirety of his loan here and, and continue to contribute because it's, it's going to be a great learning experience for him. And hopefully that will now happen in a team that can show a bit more belief at this level that they can compete. And then with it comes some better results, better performances and a bit more kudos for Brandon.
1: Thank you, Michael, for doing that. Interesting to get the inside track on his time at Carroll Road so far. Of course, a huge change for him this past week with Daniel Farker leaving and Dean Smith now being confirmed as the new manager, uh, who actually had a bit of a penchant for loan players at Aston Villa from Manchester United with Axel Twanzebi, of course, there. We'll
2: talk about him in a moment. But Andy, in terms of Brandon then, that sounds
1: fairly encouraging, does it?
2: Yeah, uh, two things on him. I remember being told in September 2020 um, that his future at United wasn't as certain as people maybe thought it would be, that United would be prepared to listen to offers for him, uh, be it loan or otherwise. Uh, And then before this season, I spoke to one agent who said that he had a chance to go to Bournemouth or Norwich and he's, he's taken the wrong option. Going to Bournemouth, they're likely to be at the top of the championship and he would be playing in a a team which suited his style of play much better than Norwich who are likely to be near the bottom of the Premier League and two or three months in sort of take notice of what he said a bit more because. but you can always say what if uh, about anyone he's definitely got something I love his backstory I love the fact he came through the youth system that he's a Manchester lad I like that as well Uh, will he be good enough to play for Manchester United long term in the first team I'm doubtful of that at the moment, but he's he's still very young.
1: Yeah, I interviewed Brandon Williams a few years back. He was part of the, the trip going over to PSG when Manchester United won over there, of course, Rashford's penalty at the end. Um, and there was a lot of young lads on that trip, wasn't there? That was Brandon Williams' first trip away with Manchester United and he was absolutely buzzing about the entire experience, basically, of going over there and being part of that party. Uh, a front row seat for a Manchester United fan, incredible. Um, Laurie, what do you think then about about Brandon? He's sort of had a taste of first-team action at United. It seems like he's had a taste at Norwich now, but he's not quite held down a position. Wait to see what happens with Dean Smith. But he's got an opportunity, hasn't he, in the the second half of this season to really show people properly what he can do?
3: Yeah, it's interesting to reflect back on when he broke into the team and the fact that, um, I think in November 2019, that kind of time where there was people in the hierarchy that was saying he was now the number one left-back at Man United above Luke Shaw, which obviously Luke Shaw has has responded to uh, with Alex Tellis is also coming in. So you've got perhaps a bit more experience there. And I guess it was a lot of pressure to put on Brandon Williams at that point. He was was someone that was coming through the academy always with an eye He, he could make it, but not as the standout player you know not as somebody that we're like we have to get this guy signed up immediately you know not like a Mason Greenwood he was you could see him coming a mile off um, and I think what Brandon Williams did do was seize the mantle hugely there was a, a, a sort of private um, dinner that Ole Solshaw was at around that time and he was asked who is the young player that you're sort of most excited by and he mentioned Brandon Williams in the way that he approached the game um, you know full conviction and I suppose that being a Manchester guy that adds into it and yeah, it's not quite worked out yet at Norwich. I think he's, but I think I don't, don't know if that's a bad thing for him. I think that's quite good that he's having to fight for it and he's in a situation that's a difficult situation you know, being down at the bottom of the table. But I do. I think that can be the makings of him, really. You know, because it's a it's such a different environment than what he was at at Manchester United. And I remember the um, block that he made against Arsenal early in the season, in, in one of his rare starts. At that point, uh, it was like a certain goal, and he, he threw his body in the way, and he leapt up celebrating it. And I was I quite enjoyed seeing that side to him where he was. You could see it meant a lot to just stop a goal. <laughs> and then against Brentford, as Michael's mentioned, there I, you know saw the. Highlights of match of the day, and he looked really good. You know, there was a, a moment where he breaks clear, great pace. He's got great energy and speed to him. And he sets up a chance that really should have should have been a goal for Norwich. Um, so hopefully, he comes more into the team with Dean Smith now in charge. I'm led to believe that the the kind of loan fee that they've got in place there comes down the more that he plays for Norwich. So it's sort of you know kind of reward for. Norwich giving him more experience so I don't think that's a factor in terms of whether he actually plays or not but it's an interesting dynamic I suppose but I've I've always quite liked him and I, I do share those same sort of doubts with Andy about whether he's actually good enough for United long term but I, I'm still kind of opening the door on that one at the moment.
1: Yeah he's a fighter isn't he so if you, if you give him a fighting chance you think that he maybe has a, a way of forcing his way through. Um, let's talk about some of the others then I've done a bit of research on Axel Twanzebi at Villa. I spoke to Dan Bardell from the Athletics Football Podcast, who's, of course, a big Villa fan. He's been a very busy man (laughs) over the course of the last week with Dean Smith leaving and, of course, uh, Stephen Gerrard arriving at Villa Park as well. Obviously, it's the third spell for Twanzebi at Villa as well, which is interesting. He's he's actually called it his home or that he feels at home there. Uh, I think he's played more times for Villa. First team than Manchester United, Twanzebi, which is interesting. And Again, another player this season, like Williams, who's had his opportunities in the Premier League, struggled to sort of hold down a regular first-team place. Dean Smith was a huge, huge fan of him, but Gerard plays four at the back, or he certainly has during his time at Rangers. So that means then that Axel has to force his way past Tyrone Mings and Esri conser who, of course, are huge figures in the Aston Villa team. And you'd think, similar to Williams, really, a sense that in the second half of the season, he really needs to show what he can do, take his opportunity to have any hope really of forcing his way back to United and having a shot in the first team as well. Axel's drifted a little bit, Andy, hasn't
2: he? Yeah, and I will not be surprised if his time has been and gone at United. He's 23 years old now. Uh, I can remember Nicky Butt telling me in the uh, summer of 17 that he was the real deal, that he he, he felt that he could absolutely make it and become uh, a first team regular. It didn't happen. I think Oli was very fair with him. I think Oli gave him chances. He, he had some very, very good matches. I think last season, most notably in Paris, when he had the measure of that Brazilian front line. But there were other games where he, he just looked too error-prone. And he needs to be a standout for Aston Villa if you're going to come back to Manchester United and not be sent out on loan again. If you go out on loan, it's a chance to prove yourself and for Manchester United fans to be going, wait a minute, we need to get him back now. And they're not doing it with, with, with Axel. And I think United fans have been very fair to him. His backstory is probably better than any other player at the club. He captained Manchester United, every single age group, right through to uh, the first team that he came from Republic of Congo, age four. He didn't speak English, grew up in Rochdale. He's a really, really nice, intelligent lad. I'd love him to make it at Manchester United. But I, I have the same doubts now that I do with with Brandon Williams. And there's no shame in that. If you would have said to him, age four, do you want to be a professional footballer in the Premier League? He probably would have had that. But I just think he might be a little bit short for the top, top level.
1: Yeah, another player who possibly falls into that category as well, Andreas Pereira, who's on loan at Flamengo in, in Brazil. His father said that he doesn't see him returning to Europe, which, which obviously seems to think that He's not going to come back to Manchester United. He's only got a year left on his contract, I think, after this season, anyway. Um, another player who's made an impact on loan. Uh, he scored some really sort of spectacular goals. One in particular, the YouTube highlights of that are worth going having a look for. It was all over Twitter about a month or so ago. Scored again recently at the weekend, but again, not sort of made a good start at Flamengo. But again, speaking to sort of uh, Brazilian journalists, it, it seems like he's sort of gone a little bit flat. Was the phrase that was used? Um, they've got a huge game later on this month the Copa Libertadores final which is of course at the South American Champions League so an opportunity for Pereira to show what he can do on the biggest of South American stages there which will be an interesting opportunity for him and to see how he gets on with that. Uh, James Garner another one that I've sort of done a bit of digging on at Nottingham Forest he had a brilliant second half of the season last year at Forest uh, under Chris Ewton who of course has been sacked at Forest at the start of this year, Steve Cooper's come in uh, and and James Garner not quite getting the same sort of opportunities not quite able to make the same sort of impact at Forest in the Championship so far this season as he did last year but still time for him to turn that around of course like some of the others and Laurie you've been writing about another young United player making waves in the Championship
3: Yeah, um, Ethan Laird who's on loan at Swansea City um, the right back who actually his... um, sort of pedigree in, in, in the academy was the reason why Brandon Williams switched from right to, to left-back and they were part of the same team um, coming through. Um, yeah, I managed to interview him down um, at Swansea and he was a really engaging character um, and he gave me a little bit of an anecdote about why he has such an ability to get the ball, dribble with it and run at players, which has proved so fruitful for Swansea so far.
0: We're back. My under fifteen spell, we had a coach called um, Clay and Blackmore. And we have a game that we do called a cage game. It always gets really rowdy. Like, basically, the ball doesn't go out and play, and there's wars and obviously, get at it. And we did one of them sessions, and Clay and Blackmore was joining in with us. And because I kept passing it off and whatnot, he said, Ethan, dribble. And obviously, I'm thinking... Okay, alright. <laughs> I'll just do, yeah, I'll just give it a try. But when I've actually dribbled, I've gone faster, like a few players, and I've, I think I've almost stuck in the back of the net. And I think everyone was kind of surprised because I've, I've just never really done that. And to be honest, I surprised myself, to be fair. <laughs> um, and then you just there, like, you I think you found your little trait here. Um, keep doing it and keep working on it. So that whole cage game, I was just dribbling with a ball going past, players and just speeding past everyone but then since then I just really kind of found my identity in my dribbling and I just kept doing it and kept doing it and kind of became an attacking
1: right back from, from there. Interesting then that Clayton Blackmore's had quite a big impact on him it seems.
3: Yeah I mean you kind of think of Clayton Blackmore you know, under Sir Alex Ferguson back at the start of the 90s, don't you, in in that team that was kind a of jolly just... jolly good tan. A jolly good tan, a lovely guy. I've spoken to him a few times myself and he's got a great accent. He tells stories, you know, with a, a real enthusiasm and he was, yeah, he was coaching at Manchester United at this point. For, for young players to be able to tap into that a little bit is great and, and with Ethan Laird in particular, you know, as you heard in the clip, he sort of told him to, to dribble and that's what he's He's just trademarked, really, for for United, you know. And that's kind of an interesting element to his loan spell at Swansea because he had a really good time at MK Dons last season, but it was behind closed doors. And now this is the first time in his career that he's actually playing in front of crowds and he's loving it. You know, you can see against Cardiff in the derby, he managed to keep a ball in play that was destined to go out and that ended up being a goal. And he was, you know, really savouring the atmosphere there. I think the reason why we get so many um, queries from some subscribers and, and, and listeners about lone players because it's that hope isn't it it's that can we think of somebody next coming through and and United's got such a proud tradition with academy players that you're always hoping that there's going to be somebody else that you can kind of get behind and I do think Ethan Laird's got a real chance just because of the way that he is an attacking fullback so you know United have in the right back area I'm not saying that he's going to rival Aaron Wambasaka next season or anything like that although he does talk about that, that next step that he wants to take for United but clearly United are in the market for You know, a a right back that can go forwards, and and with Swansea, he has I think the fourth most dribbles in the Championship completed. You know, and the other players that are ahead of him are all sort of midfielders or attackers. So he's he's obviously got a a real ability for that. Now, obviously, he needs to make sure that his defensive side is good enough. That's something I think that United have wanted him to get whilst he's on loan, and he's saying that he is still getting that. Even though he's a wing back and and operating quite high up the pitch for Swansea, he does have to get back. You know, he runs a lot (laughs) up and down that flank, and often he is one on one with defenders because the the right sided centre back will shift inside a bit more and he's you know he's up against the winger so um, he's a really intelligent kid um, I, I really enjoyed talking to me he, he sort of speaks with a smile on his face and he plays with a smile on his face and I think that's a, a good trait to have going forwards
1: okay so keep your eye out for that on the athletic then from Tuesday uh, Andy final word on loan players then uh, I spoke about Pereira before but you're sort of chasing him down at the minute I believe and you've written about Facundo Pelestri in recent times who seems to have gone from strength to strength since we spoke about him on Talk of the Devils a few weeks ago.
2: With Andreas, I went to see him when he was in Granada, when he was at Valencia, Uh, went to see him in Rome last year. He didn't have a good loan spell at Lazio. He's now at Flamengo. Huge, huge club, the most popular club in, in South America. They're in the Libertadores final. He's not playing brilliantly. Again, I can't see him having a big future at United. It's all right, scoring amazing goals. Once a season, but you've got to do it more consistently. I think he's had his time at United, and his father has admitted as much. With Facundo Palestre, I went to see him at the end of September. He'd only started one game. I'm pleased to say that he's been starting almost every week for Alaves, and not only that, he's now playing in a winning team. So when I went there, they'd lost the first six games of the season. Clearly, I brought them loads of luck, which the club have acknowledged. They beat the champions. And now they've won three and drawn one of the last four matches, so they're surging up the table. Facundo's starting in every game, he's playing well, he's still a teenager, but I think his is a loan spell which is definitely working, because if you're playing in La Liga and you're starting for a team who are now winning, then you're in a really good place. You know, He, he, he played in Camp now against Barcelona in a one all draw two weeks ago, He's playing huge matches and he's not looking out of place in those games.
1: Andy, if you are a lucky charm, would you mind popping down to Carrington
2: this week ahead of the Watford game at the weekend, please? We definitely need to beat Watford at the weekend. (laughs) I've sort of not switched off from it, but I found International Break to be like... um, I know that there's loads of games and loads of travel coming... So it was a really nice weekend, not to have it ruined by Manchester United losing a match. United have got to be what? Yeah, save it, End Andy. Off.
1: Save it. We'll talk more about that on Thursday in preview of that game. Don't depress yourself just yet. Okay, before we go, then a quick word on the Manchester United women's team. Uh, they drew one all with Everton at the weekend. toon has been in fantastic form for club and country this year. She scored again in that game. Perhaps Manchester United a little bit disappointed not to win the match but they've still got an opportunity to make it up into the top three, to get into the Champions League. Of course, only seven matches played so far this season, so still time for the team to improve. But of course, huge news over the weekend that the next time they take on Everton in the WSL, it will be at Old Trafford for just the second time in their history. And for the first time, Andy Mitton in front of fans, that's going to be a huge occasion in March, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it's fantastic and I reckon that people will come out and, and support it. You saw a trend a couple of years ago. It started in Spain where Barcelona, Madrid, Athletic would play um, women's games and the crowds were amazing, 50, 60, 70,000. I know the, the women's team has played at Old Trafford, but behind closed doors is just not the same. What an experience. It's a big jump going from two and a half, three and a half thousand at Lee. Um, to play in a, a Old Trafford in front of tens of thousands, and I think there'll be a really good crowd there.
1: Yeah, Ella Toon's a poster girl for that as well, wouldn't she? She grew up a Manchester United fan. She was forced to play for City, so to speak, because United's women's team hadn't quite been set up at that point. And when it started, she jumped across to the red half of Manchester and has, has made history, really the, the most appearances, the most goals, and is doing fantastic things right okay that's it for talk of the devils for today we've got that to look forward to in march but for now we're going to say goodbye so thank you laurie thank you andy thank you for you guys listening at home as well also to our contributors phil uh, and michael as well like i said before we're back on thursday remember manchester united are playing again at the weekend we've got to do it all again they're at watford and we'll dive a little bit deeper into that on the next podcast but for the minute thank you for listening and we'll see you next time bye bye
0: Athletic